One of the most amazing things that continues to amaze me, I don't know why it continues to do so, because it's God, but um, every time I preach, I feel like he gives me some kind of experience or story. Usually when I'm like, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. Maybe I'll just reuse a sermon I used a couple years ago, because these guys haven't heard it before. And he gives me something to, to share. And not only that, and where I actually was going with that statement was today's whole worship set, Hannah, the whole team, well done. And all I could do was think about, God, you are amazing. Because the songs that she chose, the verses, even Scott's prayer that he just prayed over me, over us, what does it look like to invite Jesus in is almost exactly what I'm going to preach today. Go and find Jesus' instruction to us to be his disciples and go and find people of peace. Show them what the kingdom is like, thereby being able to then tell them that the kingdom is near and invite them to invite Jesus into their lives. It's just, it's just awesome. So anyway, yay for that. Um, the story that he gave me. Uh, last weekend, my husband David and I went kayak camping with two lovely people who are in the room. And if you've ever been kayak camping, who's been, who knows what kayak camping is? Raise your hand. All right, Ash knows. The friends that went with me know. You put your stuff on a kayak and you paddle it to your campsite. So no caravans, no fancy cool awnings, no pillows. David did almost stuff his pillow in his dry bag and I was like, you're not gonna wanna do that. Although afterwards we're like, oh, maybe we should have done that. Would have been a little more comfortable. So you essentially are backpacking, with, but with a kayak, okay? And so, yeah, um, this is the map. When we looked up where we wanted to camp, the only campsite available was Camp 15, which you can see is at the very top. And we started at uh, Habitat Nusa, Alanda Point, if you've been there before. That is one way 32 and a half kilometers of paddling. And so by the end of our trip, we actually paddled 65 kilometers, 40 miles for my American friends. Let's just say we probably won't go kayaking again anytime soon. <laughs> so anyway, so there's a photo. That's us before we left. We're really excited and really happy. We should have taken a photo once we got to our first campsite that night. We, are, yeah, we left a little bit late. It's, you know, it's around 4.30. The sun sets around 5.30, 5.45 these days. We're paddling and we're paddling and we got to about campsite one. We're like, well, campsite 15 is a lot further than where we are now. What are we going to do? And so we paddled, hoping that somebody would take us in. And we got to campsite one, and we got a little nervous, and we just kind of kept paddling by, although they seemed nice. They maybe would have let us stay. Campsite two, we pulled up with our kayaks. We got out, and the man who was there was just a couple. And the man came to meet us. He's like, oh, do you need to use the restroom? And Hannah took one for the team. She goes, yes, I do, even though she didn't need to. Because we, it was pretty clear that they were not interested in us camping with them or sharing their space. So we kept going. We went to campsite three. There was a huge school group there. No room in the inn. I actually kind of wanted to make that joke because I figured they wouldn't know what I was talking about. Uh, campsite four, dead no, for sure. They were like, well, good luck getting to 15. We got to camp five. And it was another couple. And I happened to be the first one in our row of kayaks at the time. And it was getting dark. And um, the man who was there said hello first. 
I said, hey, how are you guys doing tonight? And so I just went for it. I was like, actually, we're exhausted. Do you have two spots for two backpacking tents? Yeah, come on up, mate. We've got tons of room. And we were like, <laughs> Hannah and I were so excited because David and Isaac were, like, looking in the bush along the way to see if we could hide our kayaks and just, like, camp legally somewhere. And we were just like, guys, like, it's not going to work. Anyway, campsite five. The man there was a person of peace. He welcomed us. He, we said, thank you so much. And he and his wife, or whoever he was with, it was a couple, um, they were like, oh, of course, we have so much room here. It's not a big deal. So we go up the stairs past where they had their swag already set up, and there was this massive clearing. We could have fit, I don't know, at least five tents, um, plenty of space. And in the research I did on all of the campsites after our trip, as I was preparing for this message, all of the sites looked like campsite five. Now granted, there's COVID, there's restrictions, people book a campsite and they don't necessarily want to share it with the four hooligans they thought were paddling past. But the reality is that every single one of those sites had the same capacity to legally camp eight people, and most of the sites we saw had two. And the people that we passed, campsites one through four, were maybe just not in a space to welcome us in. But campsite five guy was. And all I could think about, and I shared it with these guys, I was like, guys, I think I have my sermon. Amazing, yes, yes, yes. All I could think about was when uh, Jesus sends out the 72, two by two, to go out ahead of him and look for people who um, bless them back, give them peace back, invite them into their homes. And if they don't welcome you, move on. Oh, Lord, like, that's awesome. And so let's read. We're going to jump into Luke 10, verses One through nine, we'll read together. It's up on the screen, but pull up whatever device or Bible you might have with you today. Says, Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, kind of like us, we didn't have a lot of stuff with us, and do not greet anyone on the road. Don't get distracted. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, so what does this have to do with the man at campsite five? As Jesus is telling us in Luke 10, there are specific characteristics and traits about people who are people of peace. This is the strategy that he told his disciples to be missionaries in in the towns going out ahead of him on his journey towards Jerusalem. And it's the same strategy he gives each and every one of us today. A person of peace is somebody who welcomes you. They open their door to you. In our case, this man said hello, and he asked us how we were. 
he started the conversation. Uh, a person of peace serves you. They're hospitable. They offer to sustain you. In our case, he offered a place for us to sleep at night. And they're open to you. And the reality is if someone is open to you, at some point they're probably going to be open to the message that you bring along with you. Right? That is what Jesus taught his disciples. And he not only taught them and told them to do this, but he modeled it to them. Between this moment in Luke's gospel, from Luke 9, 51, Jesus, it's the first time that Jesus makes a comment of he's ready to head towards Jerusalem. And so from that point until Luke 19, which is the real story we're going to talk about today about Zacchaeus being in a tree, it's called what a lot of Bible scholars say is the travel narrative of Luke. And it details and it records Luke's, or Jesus' journey as he heads towards Jerusalem and ultimately hangs on a cross and is raised from the dead. Okay, so the story of Luke 19 with Zacchaeus ends, is sort of the ending bookmark of the travel narrative. And so in some ways, I'd like us to wonder, Jesus starts that journey with, hey, this is what you do. Now let me show you how it's done. And it ends with, in a lot of ways, a really cool example of what can happen when we are paying attention to the people around us. So with that, let's read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. The story of Zacchaeus. It's one of my favorites. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, which just kind of makes me giggle. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. <laughs> so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Ab Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jericho was a really wealthy city. It's located really close to the Jordan River and right along that main highway on your way to Jerusalem. So it's a place that people on pilgrimage or on their way to the big city would go all the time. So it's the perfect place to make a whole lot of money if you're a tax collector because you can tax all the exports and imports going through your town. The fact that, um, at least in the NIV, Zacchaeus' job as a chief tax collector ultimately probably meant uh, that he subcontracted with other tax collectors and therefore took a fee and made a lot of money off of them. Not all tax collectors were wealthy, but Luke makes sure we know that Zacchaeus was a wealthy, rich man. On top of that, we know that Zacchaeus is actually a Jew because of his name. And his name in Hebrew, Zacchaeus, means pure and innocent whether Luke's using this as a literary something to catch our attention, um, or was his name, 
it's ironic considering everyone at the time would have thought Zacchaeus was the complete opposite of pure and innocent because of his job and ultimately the fact that he sold his life over to the Roman government to exploit his brothers and sisters. He's getting rich off of the other Jewish people living in that town. He was probably not a very well-liked man. Uh, we also know that he's short in stature. Some people argue, and the Greek word there means young, maybe young in his moral standards, immature. could mean a lot of different layers of who Zacchaeus was. And we also know that he wanted to see who Jesus was. Have you ever wanted to see a famous person? Or have you seen a famous person? Uh, I have a sort of embarrassing story about that. A couple of years ago, my friend and I bought VIP tickets to see Hillsong back in the States. And we didn't really know what to expect, but we knew that we would have some kind of encounter with them. And we really love the band. My friend that I went with is a songwriter and a worship leader. And so it meant a lot to both of us, but especially to her in her, in her passions and her career and how she connects with the Lord. And so we get ushered into this little room and in walks Joel Houston and Taya and Benjamin Hastings. And we were like, oh, like I was literally this close to Taya and I almost died. <laughs> And so they did an acoustic set of five songs and chatted with us about, Ash is like, oh my God, I would, I would just love that so much. And afterwards, we got to stand with them, shake their hands, meet them, take a photo with them. And my, we had planned, my friend and I had planned, oh, what are we going to say when we finally shake their hands and meet them face to face? And I uttered something real awkward when Taya hugged me. It was like, thanks for everything. And she was like, okay, weirdo, <laughs> move on to the next person. And my friend Jenny, she went to shake Joel's hand, and she had this whole speech planned about how he has impacted her life. And she literally froze and could not say anything and just stood there with her, like, mouth awkwardly hanging open. <laughs> and so they ushered us awkward girls out to um, where the, the concert was going to be, and we both were like, I can't believe we did that. Why did we do that? Why do we do that? Why are we fascinated with the rich and the famous and the, these people that we put on pedestals. And we're not really told why Zacchaeus is wanting to see Jesus outside of the fact that he wanted to see who he was. Think about it, like here's this guy that everybody's talking about, miracle man, famous rabbi, he's walking through my town and I'm gonna see him, right? It'd be like if the Pope drove by in his cool little chariot. We'd all be like, I saw the Pope, I saw the Pope. And maybe there's something else going on there too because the reality is the Holy Spirit changed our life. And so maybe Zacchaeus' life has already been changed to some extent, and we just don't really know. And so um, what does Zacchaeus do? He, the scripture tells us he runs up a tree, which if you think about it, how many of us adults are running up trees? It's not really like an adult thing to do, right? He's willing to make a total fool of himself, running out ahead and climbs this tree so that he can see this man who is clearly really important to him in some, in some way. <clears throat> so Jesus looks up, and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And he calls him by name and invites him to come down. There's, like, intentionality and urgency in how Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, right? He says, come down immediately. I have to stay at your house today because 
although the scripture says Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he's going through Jericho, Jericho, and I can't remember all of the different things, I think Jericho sits 200 some um, kilometers below sea level and, and Jerusalem's high, so it's an, it's an uphill walk, and it was really common for people taking that pilgrimage to stop and have a little siesta, a little rest, and so Jesus maybe was looking for um, who he was going to spend his lunch break with. Or maybe he saw Zacchaeus and he was like, this is the person that I need to spend some time with because it's going to matter that he's, we're, we're, we're together. In either case, he's urgent, and Zacchaeus doesn't really question it, right? What is it? The scripture tells us he basically scrambles out of the tree. Imagine being Zacchaeus, being hated by your entire town, and someone, the famous guy who's walking through your town, knows your name, right? Like Jesus didn't say, hey, you, you look rich. I'd love to come see your cool mansion in town and spend the afternoon. He calls him by name, and he, in that moment, tells Zacchaeus and everyone else that's listening that he already knows who Zacchaeus is. In ancient Middle Eastern culture, and it's really not that different today, even in our own, to share a meal with somebody was significant. It meant that you accepted them. And so in this moment, in front of all these people, Jesus has chosen Zacchaeus to be the person who he's going to do lunch with. He has accepted Zacchaeus, even though everyone else has rejected Zacchaeus. And as you can imagine, what happens next? Everybody starts grumbling about it. Does that sound familiar at all? Zacchaeus? Oh, he's a sinner. Why is that guy, why is Jesus going to have lunch with him? Why not me? I'm way better. I follow the laws way more than Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is dirty. He's unclean. He's a sinner. He stole all of our money. He's not worthy to be in the presence of this rabbi. Jesus is showing Zacchaeus and everyone else who's listening that the kingdom of God is like a dinner party where everybody is invited. That the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus was a lost man. He didn't have a tribe. He didn't have a community. He had already made the decision to idolize money over the well-being of all his brothers and sisters in the town. And that's why probably the people were pretty upset. Zacchaeus wasn't perfect. And Jesus saw Zacchaeus and he accepted him anyway, inviting himself into Zacchaeus' life. And then what do we see happen? People are grumbling, and Zacchaeus says, oh. it's almost like he has to, like, feels like he needs to defend himself. He, you see, when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he took no time at all in recognizing that his real need was not actually the money, but a new way of being. And so whether this story, which is up for debate in theological world, here we have it written in future tense. The Zacchaeus is like, I will give, I'll give money. It's almost like he gives this whole plea as to like, this is why I'm worthy. This is why, hey, y'all, like I am doing good things or I will do good things. I am worthy of Jesus. I'm coming, being his host today. But whether this story is a story that is of conversion and a change of heart and or 
it's also a story of a lost sheep being found. One thing is actually certain, Zacchaeus is restored, not only to God, but to his community. Because salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house. We're told, Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house. Not because Zacchaeus starts doing all the right things and is suddenly perfect or makes himself sound really good, but because he actually welcomes and accepts Jesus into his life. Right? Salvation for Zacchaeus is just as much about deliverance from his idols and the sin in his life as it is about being restored to his relationship with God, being reminded he's a son of Abraham, but also restored to his community because he was a son of Abraham, just like the rest of them. They just kind of forgot that because they didn't like him. Jesus was purposeful in everything that he did, and he taught his disciples, including us, to go and make disciples in the same way that he did, spending time with people of peace, which I would say Zacchaeus was. He was eager to see Jesus. He welcomed him into his home. He's willing to serve him. He was open to what Jesus had to say, and he ultimately said yes to Jesus. I started a new job about a month ago, and um, like with any new job, right, you're trying to figure out the dynamics of the office, the people, uh, you want to make friends, I'm new to the country, I really need to make some friends, and there, everyone's nice in their own right, everyone was welcoming, but there were those few people who were extra welcoming. They'd show up, they'd invite me to things, um, it just became evident that maybe they would become my people at work. And one of them specifically, I was having a really bad day, and she noticed, and she asked, and she invited, hey, if you want to come talk at my desk later, come on over. And I had a lot of meetings that day, but I came back to my desk, and she had bought me a cupcake, which she doesn't even know is literally my love language, with a little note saying, like, we're here for you. And that same woman um, likes to go on runs at lunch. And I moonlight as a runner every once in a while. I just haven't done it in a while, but I figured I'm gonna go with her because oh, I'd like to get back into running. I wanna learn a little bit more about South Bank and the routes that people take when they go out running, but it's also opportunity to just get to know this new friend at work. And so we go out for a run, which turned to a jog, which turned to a walk, which turned into nearly an hour of her telling me about her son that died two years ago in a tragic car accident. And it was pretty clear to me that she was verbally processing her grief. And that quickly turned to a conversation about God and where she sits spiritually, um, her upbringing, her wrestlings with God and the person of God and how this horrible thing could happen. And I just listened a lot. And at the end, I hugged her. And she said to me, which is really funny, she was like, oh, now that I know you're kind of like the pastor in our office, I'm going to come talk to you all the time. <laughs> yes, great, great. I did eventually tell her, I'm like, I actually am trained as a pastor, but <laughs> you caught that, I guess, on your own. Um, there was nothing that I said outside of I invited her to go for a run because I knew that she would like to, and we had talked about it, and provided opportunity for her to, to share. I wasn't expecting her to share all of that she shared. <clears throat> She's not a Christian person. She would say that to all of us. She was here. Um, but I would guarantee that she's a person of peace that God has put into my life. 
Because again, what makes someone a person of peace? What was Zacchaeus? They welcome you, they serve you, they want to be around you, they're open to you, which probably means at some point they'd be open to what you have to say about why you live the life that you live. In our everyday spaces and places, God has people of peace waiting to be found, waiting to be shown what the kingdom of God is like for all of us. As his disciples, he's commissioned each and every one of us to live a missional life in our everyday spaces, wherever we spend the most of our time. And the Holy Spirit is already preparing those people's hearts to meet Jesus. So whether it's our neighborhoods, whether it's our workplace, our school, our after-school sports, our kids' daycare, our running club, what would it look like to look for the people of peace that God has waiting for us? Who are the people of peace in your life waiting to hear and to see Jesus through you? Jesus laid out a strategy for his disciples, and it's the same for us, and he modeled it to us. The strategy is go and find, look for people of peace, show them what the kingdom of God is like, and tell them the kingdom of God is near. That's exactly what he does with Zacchaeus, if you go back and look through that story that we just walked through. A friend of David and ours, he lives up on the Sunshine Coast. Um, He's a car mechanic. We've had to see him many a times with all of the issues with our cars in the last couple of months. But we've gotten to spend a lot of time with him. He's a Christian man. And we were talking about um, ministry. And he made a comment to us that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, I just think loving people and being in ministry is showing, showing them another way to live. He's like, I invite my guys who are mechanics to go mountain biking with me. And when they ask me why I'm not getting totally drunk or whatever, whatever his example was at the time, I do know that was one of them, I can tell them why. But it's not before inviting them and showing them that there is a different way to live. And the more you show, the more likely you'll eventually be able, or more likely you'll be asked to tell them why. Because God's already living and breathing inside each and every one. Pastor Tom, the last two weeks, has talked about the Holy Spirit and the power and the authority that we've been given. We already have everything that we need to go and just be ourselves. Because God's presence is enough, just like it was enough for Zacchaeus. It's enough for us as well. And so what does it look like to go into our everyday spaces, into into our life, and share life with people, and look for who are those people of peace. And again, he doesn't say go and every single person show them the kingdom of God. He says look specifically for the people of peace. People might be nice, people might like you, but there's going to be certain people that stand out that God is preparing for you to connect with. As 316, as the greater church, what does it look like for us to come here on Sunday, be equipped, be encouraged, but ultimately go out into the majority of the rest of our lives, because we're really here for an hour and a half, one day a week, to be Jesus to those people who are waiting to meet him face to face through us because we carry the Holy Spirit with us. 
And so my challenge to each and every one of us in this next week, this next month, as we step out from these doors and we go to the open house, and maybe there are going to be some neighbors that are there, what does it look like to ask God, hey, who, who do you have for me to just invite to lunch or go on a walk or set up a play date? Who are my people of peace? Because each and every one of us has somebody, at least one, in our life already that we don't even have to do anything special. Just invite them to do something you're already doing in your normal life that you enjoy doing. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have a really good way to land the plane outside of that's my challenge to us. And ultimately, through these two stories that I just most recently have experienced, I've been incredibly blessed and reminded that God has put a calling on my life, but he's put the same calling on every single one of the lives of everybody inside of this room right now. As his people, as his church, what does it look like to go out, to look, to show, and to tell um, what his kingdom is really like and that it's near and that it's always here? Why don't you play with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to meditate in your word and to know that you, just like Zacchaeus was seeking you and we seek you, you are already seeking each and every single one of us and you're seeking the people that you're preparing for us to introduce to you. Lord, the power of inviting and saying yes to you in our lives. Lord, help us, help us to have the strength and the courage to just be ourselves, recognizing that you've already given us everything that we need that you will give us the words or the presence, the calm, the peace, to be different because your Holy Spirit is different and people can tell that the people in our life waiting to meet you, waiting to see you face to face, waiting to say yes to your invitation, Lord, that we would be your hands and feet in the flesh, that they would be able to meet Jesus. In your name, amen.